I define myself a few ways. In the book, I refer to myself as the lactation consultant who couldn't feed her kid. All right. As one of the titles that I rock. I uh, used to be the lactation consultant who made people uncomfortable talking about trans people. Okay. And now I often describe myself as a lactation consultant, but not the kind who hates formula. Welcome to Milk Drunk by Bobby, a straight up conversation about parenting without the BS. We'll be featuring parenting experts, people you may recognize, and some others you might be meeting for the first time. Milk Drunk is brought to you by Bobby, the mom-founded and led organic formula brand evolving the conversation around how we choose to feed our babies. Our goal is to have open and honest conversations that make parents feel less alone. Think group chat energy, but I'm not going to talk to you about my IUD on this episode. I'm your host, Angelica Temple, and today's episode is all about doing what feels good for you. How you're feeding yourself or your baby, or taking it really slowly with exercise and work postpartum. Look, you don't need me to tell you that as a parent, we're constantly told what's best for us and our babies. But what we really need is what works for us and our families. First up, we're talking with content creator, wellness expert, and entrepreneur, Hannah Bronfman on her postpartum journey the second time around. After that, we'll chat with author and formula-educated lactation consultant, Victoria Ficelli. Yes, you heard that right. A formula-educated lactation consultant? More on that soon. Let's get into it. Welcome to Milk Drunk, the podcast. I'm so excited to hear about your two different feeding journeys because you're obviously very much in one now. And you have been with Bobby. You're an OG Bobby alum. You know, I think back before I even got involved with Bobby in 2021, you were in this gorgeous New York Times full page ad that was all about how is feeding going, right? Instead of it assuming that everything's about breastfeeding. And I think you had like your high heel shoe on a breast pump, if, if I'm remembering oh correctly, at least in one of the shots. Talk to us about your experience with that campaign and sort of how does it feel to think about that then versus now, you know, the second time around? You know, that campaign is like the gift that keeps on giving. It's so interesting. I have people maybe like once a month, mm -hmm. just write a note to me saying, hey, by the way, I saw you in the Bobby campaign. Mm -hmm. You don't know how desperately I needed to hear those words. I, you know, you validated, you know, so much of my story for me. You know, what it was like for me personally, it was a little scary just being yeah. so vulnerable and, and talking about really for the first time, mm -hmm. I think really – having that conversation around, you know, combo feeding mm -hmm. and what my personal feeding journey was like. And this was still prior to people really accepting yep. that there's more than one way to feed your baby. That's awesome. I mean, I think it's when I think about how the climate around feeding has changed in the last two years, right, since that campaign. And for me, you know, I have two daughters who are six and a half and four and it is a world, it's a world away, right? When I, my six and a half year old, I started supplementing with formula 
And I still breastfed for a whole year, but with formula as like my best friend, right? (laughs) Formula was riding shotgun, but it was, you know, I never talked about it, right? It wasn't, I just didn't, I didn't mention it because I was just so in that space of everything one way. Totally. For me, I'm someone who, for better or for worse, you know, lives my life on the internet. Yep. (laughs) And so that opens up a lot of criticism and a lot of scrutiny when I'm doing something that someone out there doesn't agree with. Mm -hmm. As you know, like the breastfeeding or formula feeding or combo feeding conversation is a polarizing topic. Mm -hmm. And one that I think only now we're starting to really break the stigma. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been conditioned as a society to think that formula is so terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, how dare we as mothers give our kids formula? Mm-hmm. Le- living like a pretty clean and more of a holistic approach to my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. If I was going to give formula to my child, it needed to be you know, the organic goat's milk situation from Germany, mm-hmm. which- Oh, are we, we're talking black market European formula? We're talking yes. black okay. market yes. European. <laughs> There's, yeah, sorry, sorry. Black market European distribution like yep. went kaput. Yep. And I think literally around that exact same time is when Bobby launched. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden there was an organic product being made in America mm-hmm. that you know moms could access and feel better about mm-hmm. than formula that is like you know the first ingredient is cornstarch. Mm-hmm. Now listen, by the way, there are so many families who you know Similac and Enfamil is all that they can afford or have yep. access to, yep. and those babies are going to be just fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it certainly is a industry that really did lack innovation. Mm-hmm. And I think now just goes to show that, you know, the millennial parent mm-hmm. is waiting for more options and, mm-hmm. and wants more options and wants options that are marketed to them and not their baby because who's got the purchasing power? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's so true. I mean, it's it's come such a long way. And I think it's so great to see that brands in the industry are following suit. Right, exactly. But the more options, the better, um, that's for sure. And since we're talking about feeding and we're just in it, let us rewind the clock to you feeding Preston, your first baby. And can you sort of take us through that journey? I mean, honestly, I breastfed until he was about five or six months. I honestly can't even remember at this point. But he also had like a tongue tie and a Mm -hmm. cheek tie and Mm -hmm. a lip tie. They never really affected our feeding journey. Okay. But he actually, what did affect his feeding journey more than his ties. So he had reflux. And when I started introducing the bottle, I noticed that he just had like a lot less of a reaction with his Mm -hmm. reflux than he Mm -hmm. did from the boob. And obviously I want my kid to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. And Preston ended up weaning uh, before I kind of felt ready, Mm -hmm. which I think is just like a metaphor for parenthood. 
in general. Oh my gosh. I was kind of bummed out, but at the same time, I was also very excited to kind of like have my body just for myself again and also supplemented with Bobby. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you now as like a a mother of an almost three-year-old, we have such an amazing relationship and I really feel like it has nothing to do with our feeding journey. Mm -hmm. When you introduced bottles and formula, obviously, you know, that meant that your husband and other folks in your community and your village and your family could be part of the feeding process. Tell me about that experience, you know, for your partner, especially. Yeah. I mean, my husband like loved feeding Preston. I mean, he, he was so excited to become a dad. So he was really, really hands-on. I'm, I'm really lucky for that. Mm-hmm. Just changing diapers the moment Preston came out. And like I said, like how it, how it felt like getting my body back. It also mm-hmm. felt like I was getting some normalcy back as well, because now it's just like the responsibility wasn't all on me. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like a weight is taken off. Absolutely. You need more than you to do it. Yes. 100%. So how is your current feeding journey going? So my feeding journey is is good. I mean, I stopped breastfeeding two weeks ago. Okay. I went on a work trip for a week and I, with all the work events I had to do, like mm-hmm. I absolutely could not pump four times a day. And oh yeah. I already was only feeding her probably like twice mm-hmm. um, and supplementing already with her. I started supplementing with her around two and a half months because I, I, I really did not want to just like be a slave to my pump. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't prepared to like go crazy with the pumping and build a supply and like, you know, house freezers full of milk Mm -hmm. and all the things I did with Preston. Like this time around, I actually didn't even pump for the first like six weeks Mm -hmm. so that my supply could really regulate to Claude's needs, which is not what I did with Preston. I mean, I was pumping from like the moment he was born. Mm -hmm. I was just like, you know what, this time around, I'm going to just focus on my own mental Mm -hmm. health. And Mm -hmm. also- we're not in a pandemic anymore. I don't have all the time in the world. Mm-hmm. I'm also running after Preston and I'm fully working still. And I barely took a mat leave this time around, which unfortunately it is what it is for corporate America basically as well, since there's no national paid leave, but mm. it's a whole other conversation. That is. So I had to make compromises and choices that mm-hmm. were going to best fit our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I'm happy I did it and I have no regrets. Yeah. Okay. So you're four and a half months postpartum. What has been in your wellness toolkit? I'd say both during your second pregnancy, but also now. The second pregnancy was just so different than the first. Again, mm-hmm. purely, I think, because of the difference of like not being in a pandemic. Okay. So, like, Second pregnancy, I have access to community. Mm-hmm. I have access to workouts. I have access to holistic practitioners mm-hmm. and body work. Um, these were things I did not have access to in my mm-hmm. first pregnancy. My first pregnancy mm-hmm. was extremely isolating. Yeah. I had a lot of anxiety 
you know, fast forward this pregnancy, mm-hmm. not only do I have access to all the things because the world is like fully functioning as it was pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. I'm also, you know, running after a toddler, fully mm-hmm. working, et cetera. So I, I really did have to figure out how to manage my time and mm-hmm. prioritize self-care in my second pregnancy towards the end of my pregnancy, like the last month of my pregnancy, really slowing down, trying to focus in like inward, mm-hmm. really kind of move all of my exercise to slow and like stretch and kind of all of the more yoga, mm-hmm. prenatal yoga stuff. And, you know, I wasn't doing Pilates anymore, right? Mm-hmm. Like I kind of been doing strength training and Pilates all throughout my pregnancy. And then at that last month, I really kind of fully trying to switch gears because I'm not like the easiest pill swallower. So supplements can be difficult for me. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of like liquid vitamins and okay. li- liquid supplements that I mm-hmm. like to take. So I really try to focus on food. I mean, food yeah. is medicine. That's kind of how I've always approached Absolutely. it. And yeah. um, I was drinking a lot of bone broth. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, eating a lot of just like highly dense nutrient mm-hmm. rich foods also fully listening to my cravings this time around. I didn't have any cravings with Preston, which was mm-hmm. really annoying. Actually, I was like, <laughs> I thought I was going to have like something yeah. bizarre that I could like tell my kid about. None of that happened. Um, but with Claude, mm-hmm. I definitely had cravings. I like wanted only Asian cuisine. Huh? There was not a day that went by that I didn't want dim sum. So like that was like a whole situation. (laughs) And then it fully switched gears into like artisanal bread with canned fish. Oh my gosh. Every type of canned fish. And my husband was like, he would walk in the door and be like, oh God, I can smell the sardines already. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. It's the only thing I want to eat. So (laughs) cute. I mean, I think... The subject of postpartum nutrition is one of those things that I don't even think when I was in it, I was thinking about it, right? So many mothers are nutritionally depleted in postpartum because they're prioritizing their baby. If they have another kid, like the house, getting back to work, potentially working already. Do you feel like we do enough as a society to recognize that health of mom matters in this postpartum period? And, and Absolutely how do you- not. Yeah. No. I mean, I know I knew the answer. <laughs> yeah. It's every woman for themselves out there. Oh, God. There's literally no support in the U.S. for moms. Like in France, for instance, you have like a year's worth of pelvic floor therapy mm-hmm. postpartum. Yep. That's just a standard for France. Mm-hmm. When you are recovering from what ultimately is like a traumatic event on your body, mm-hmm. right? It's a lot. It is trauma, yes. Whether you tore, didn't tear, or got an episiotomy, or mm-hmm. got a C-section, or whatever, like you still had a baby growing inside you that like moved your pelvis all around, and mm-hmm. things are different than they were. I'll also say like postpartum, I, I tried belly wrapping. Okay. And honestly, so many different cultures have different versions of this. Mm-hmm. There's all different types of of ways that cultures have kind of honored moms in the fourth trimester, 
mm-hmm. um, with this belly binding ceremony and mm-hmm. ritual mm. that is supposed to really help reduce swelling. It's supposed to help bring your organs back into place. It's supposed to help bring your ribs back down. Mm -hmm. A lot of times your ribs Mm -hmm. get flipped open or flared out. Obviously so much is expanding in your Mm -hmm. rib cage. I I really liked it because I thought that the first time around with Preston, I had used some compression Mm -hmm. products, which I actually really liked, but I did find that the compression products felt a little strong mm-hmm. for where I was. Mm-hmm. While I did like the support, especially at nighttime, like getting up and getting down, like I, mm-hmm. I found myself more sleeping in one than oh, wearing one during the day. Yeah. But this time around with the cloth, you have a bit more flexibility. It didn't mm-hmm. feel so binding. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I felt supported. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting because you're like, you know, you're learning how to redistribute your weight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're, it's we're carrying, different. it's yeah. crazy. And so, and everything has turned into staying active while being mm-hmm. pregnant. Absolutely. Rightfully so, right? Yeah. Because yeah. It, it helps. It helps with a, with a positive birth outcome. Mm -hmm. It helps with your labor and delivery. Mm -hmm. It helps with your recovery. And more generally, exercise we know is like the number one thing you can do for your heart in Mm -hmm. just terms of longevity. So Mm -hmm. obviously sometimes you're not in the mood to work out when you're pregnant Mm -hmm. and your moods go up and down. But there was like a huge chunk of my pregnancy that I felt strong and wanted to be active. And the kind of slump of it all was mm-hmm. really a, a pretty minor part of my my pregnancies. Yes. Talking about fitness and health and sort of postpartum expectations of people, you know, we're always hearing about bounce back culture. How do you as a wellness advocate and a mother <laughs> combat these unhealthy narratives and standards around women's bodies, around beauty, while also being focused on how important health and wellness are to us. Yeah, this is always a little bit of a hard topic to mm-hmm. talk about because as one of my friends put it, she's like, well, you did snap back quickly. So right. <laughs> what do you have to say about it? And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm not of the the belief of restricting ourselves. You know, I I think that the number one thing you can do with yourself in this postpartum time is give yourself grace yep. and nourish yourself and take it easy. Mm-hmm. And so for me, as someone, who, again, who lives my life on the internet, who obviously, you know, prioritizes wellness, my goal in showing my postpartum journey was never to create any sort of type of comparison. Mm-hmm. I haven't talked about weight as a concept in over 10 years, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not going to yeah. start now. Yeah, I don't use terms like pre-baby body. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's more about language as well as I didn't go on my first walk with Claude until she was four weeks old. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was really important to kind of show people mm-hmm. like I've been in bed, you know, yeah. like I yeah. have not been, I'm not out here trying to snap back or work out hard or, you mm-hmm. know, and I, and I, and I also tell a lot of my friends, a lot of my friends had babies around the same time as me. Mm-hmm. 
And one of my girlfriends was like, oh my God, guys, I just went for a run. And she had a baby like a month before me. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh my God, guys, I just went for a run. And But like my body feels like in shambles. I'm like, you went for a run? <laughs> like, like, I get that you want a sweat or yes. you want those endorphins to kick in. Like, yeah. I get it. Go for like a brisk walk or sit in the <laughs> sauna or, you know, I was dying for a sweat. This is probably like six weeks after having Claude. Mm -hmm. And it was more like I also wanted the sweat for the mental clarity aspect of it. Of course, yeah. So I found myself a hot yoga class Mm -hmm. and I just went and I sat on the mat. (laughs) I swear, I went to that yoga class and I and I just I just I just stretched and I sat in the corner, (laughs) did some child's pose, the room was hot. And let me tell you, I came out of there drenched, yeah. feeling so good, so proud of myself. And I didn't care what the hell anyone else in the class was thinking like, oh, yeah. that chick's like literally not doing, she's lying down in the corner. Mm-hmm. Like, what, like, what's that about? And even now, like I have a lot of my friends being like, come to this class. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not strong enough to do that yet. Mm-hmm. Like, my body might look a certain way, but I don't. I don't have the same strength that I had yet, mm-hmm. and I'm taking it easy. I'm. I'm not. I'm not in a rush. Mm-hmm. There will be a time when I'm like going hard at the gym, yeah. and I'm excited for that. But I'm not there yet. Yeah. So, totally. like, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, I think the word healthy itself is so controversial because. It's so different for everyone. Yeah. And I know you have a mantra. Your mantra is do what feels good, right? And yes. I think what you're describing is that going and sitting in the hot yoga class, you know, or for your friend, it was going for that insane, <laughs> insane run. How is that coming to life in terms of your mental health now too, with two kids, you know, you're four and a half months out. It's interesting. I There's so much going on in the world that yes. It, yes. things feel heavy. And so I recently actually reached reached out to a couple of different people to get recommendations for a therapist because mm-hmm. for for me it's really difficult to make my make time in my calendar to journal or just mm-hmm. go for a walk and clear my mind. Like if I don't have something in my calendar that it's like me leaving the house to go talk to someone about mm-hmm. what's going on in my life as like a you know just as like a digital download type of mm-hmm. thing, then. It's hard for me to really feel like I'm in a place of clarity. Mm-hmm. I still don't think I'm in like a place of clarity by any means. I'm still yeah. definitely got brain fog. Mm-hmm. But also like my husband can't be the only person that I'm like talking to. And while I have my girlfriends as well, you know, a therapist is an amazing resource because it is kind of that one-sided situation. Mm-hmm. So I'm I am looking into that. Um I also I do have just like a a notes folder in my phone as everyone does and I mm-hmm. I use my notes religiously. Like I mm-hmm. just jot down things that I'm feeling or ideas that I have or whatever and I I find that getting that out of my head mm-hmm. really helps with like everything. Mm-hmm. So we need to give ourselves grace. Maybe get a therapist, use our notes app. So many things. Thank you yeah. so much, Hannah, for joining us on Milk Drunk today. We adore you. We're so happy that you're part of the Bobby family and that your family has expanded. Thank you so much. This was such a great chat. I'm so happy we got to do this. Yes. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Okay. 
Bye. Bye. All right. I'm stealing that. I'm going to go to a hot yoga class and just sit on the mat. That sounds really nice. No one talk to me. Leave me alone. The only thing is, I really love chatting. So let's get to our next guest. Hello. Our next guest is a lactation consultant, a mother, and author of Feed the Baby, an inclusive guide to nursing, bottle feeding, and everything in between. Victoria Ficelli, welcome to Milk Drunk. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. This feels like dream come true kind of stuff. I'm very excited, especially because I have whizzed through your book, wish that I had it when I had my children, and will definitely be recommending it. Before we get into it, how would you define yourself professionally? What is your job title? So I define myself a few ways. In the book, I refer to myself as the lactation consultant who couldn't feed her kid. All right. As one of the titles that I rock. I uh, used to be the lactation consultant who made people uncomfortable talking about trans people. Okay. And now I often describe myself as a lactation consultant, but not the kind who hates formula. And when I walk into a room and I introduce myself to my patients, I usually say, hi, I'm Victoria. I'm the feeding person. Because that discharges a little bit of what the IBCLC can, but mm-hmm. I don't think should stand for. Okay. Yes. I'm so glad that you just brought up all those terms. First, what does IBCLC stand for? Because I feel like we hear those initials all the time or that acronym all the time, but don't actually know what it is. So IBCLC is sort of considered the most training that you can mm-hmm. get in specifically lactation, in my opinion, infant feeding. Okay. So it stands for International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. So it started sort of in the like rebirth of lactation support Mm -hmm. in the 50s. Mm -hmm. The La Leche League starts and they have to call themselves La Leche League because you can't say breastfeeding in public. Like that's how far in history we are, right? So as a Latina woman, I'm like a little like... Does that still need to be Spanish? But okay. Seriously. Right. So like that, that has aged. Yeah. And so from that lineage, they start as peer support and want to begin sort of a professional arm of that. Mm -hmm. And so they start the IBCLE, which is our certifying board. Okay. And we sit a big board exam and then we recertify. So part of what's important to know about IBCLCs is that it is a global certification So we're all working in different contexts. Mm -hmm. It can also be secondary to other certifications. So there are pediatricians that have the certification. There are OTs, there are speech therapists. And I love that diversity. I think that Mm -hmm. makes us a really strong field. Mm -hmm. It's sort of a way of saying, I have taken a lot of time Mm -hmm. to learn the complexities of this discipline. Mm -hmm. And this is where I will throw in a disclaimer. Mm -hmm. That part of being an IBCLC means that we follow what's called the World Health Organization Code of Marketing Ethics, which Mm -hmm. means that we do not participate in the marketing of formula. Mm -hmm. So since this is a formula company sponsored podcast, I just Mm -hmm. need to make very clear to everyone that I am not receiving compensation to be here. Mm -hmm. I am here to talk about and support all feeding options. Mm -hmm. which is ethically really important to me. 
as an IBCLC. And what I want to see come out of our field is a move to where we're really knowledgeable mm-hmm. about formula in a way that I can say definitively if the formula that sponsors this podcast is actually recommended for the kid in front of me or not. Mm-hmm. Because right. I am ethically unbiased and ethically informed mm-hmm. to support the family in front of me. I was a postpartum doula. Okay. And then added this credential onto that. So it would be easy to be like, we're the best, we're the most important, we're the most trained. (laughs) And I don't actually believe that. And Mm -hmm. people who have community knowledge, people that have spent, you know, there are all these certified lactation educators or certified Mm -hmm. lactation counselors that don't have the same amount of time in a NICU, in hospitals. They maybe don't have the same number of credentialing hours than me, but they know so much more about exclusive pumping because they did that and they spend all their time researching and testing pumps and they're out there testing the chillers and checking the temperatures. And so like they are really the high knowledge of that or Mm -hmm. Rose reaching our sisters everywhere, which is a black breastfeeding organization that is many CLCs that are women who have really valuable community knowledge that I, Mm -hmm. as a non-black woman will never have. Right. And so I really like honor that we have different roles and that mm-hmm. we work together. Mm-hmm. And then that, yeah, lactation educators who are teaching these things have a really valuable role, as does sometimes like your mom. You know, you've just perfectly created my segue here, Victoria. I got to tell you, which is where are you coming from as a mother? So. As a queer person, we don't keep sperm in the house. Yes, that's right. So had to go find some. Um, <laughs> you don't just have that in the fridge? In the downstairs basement fridge? <laughs> I know, right? And in this way that like, it's just like queer people who don't keep sperm and eggs together in the house. Like we don't, we don't ever yeah. have the luxury of like, I don't know, we're not not trying. Right? We totally. kind of go right into this infertility space. Yes. So, you know, I'm working at a doula agency. I've like really gone through it to to mm-hmm. have this baby. I've got two birth doulas, an amazing partner, like so many amazing midwives. I am in like the most baby-friendly, amazing, skilled mm-hmm. hospital, which was like the right and safe spot for me and ended up having a really traumatic birth. That was just Mm -hmm. one of those things. Yeah. And so that outcome for us was that um, my daughter was born not breathing and needed to be resuscitated. um, And we spent the first three weeks of her life in the NICU, Mm -hmm. mostly working on helping her learn to eat. Mm -hmm. So I start parenting from this place of incredible failure. Mm. where if anyone was going to succeed and like, I literally have a memory of being like, I mean, there's not a circumstance wherein I am unable to breastfeed my child. Right. Right. Yeah. You are so prepared. You've got the support system. You've got the intel. You've got the tools. And like, I'm good at my job. Like I'm not just average. Yeah. Yeah. Like I am Uh. ready. And That's not what the universe had in store for us. Mm -hmm. And 
I had always thought people were totally banana pants for exclusively pumping. I was like, that seems nuts. Yeah. (laughs) And then I did it for Mm -hmm. nine months. And it made my mood disorder so much worse. So I had a birth injury on my end. I also had PTSD. And so one of the things that happens with PTSD is it can interrupt your digestion. So I was just like so Mm. sick and exclusively Mm. pumping. But like we had already been through this horrible thing and I like I'll be damned if I wasn't going to do everything for my baby's health. Yep. I'm so proud that I let breastfeeding go and I'm so proud that eventually I let pumping go. If I had a time machine, I would sit myself down so much sooner and be like, girl, this is not serving you. It's not serving your kid. It's not serving your family. Mm. I actually need you to walk the walk. Mm -hmm. Like you've been talking the talk that it's okay to combo feed or it's okay to use all the tools for a long time. I'm going to need you to walk the walk here. Like you're brave enough. It's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And no one has ever successfully breastfed because you told them they had to. So what families actually need are systems that serve them, systems Mm -hmm. that push against monopolies that create dangerous shortages, systems that support leave for families, both paternal and maternal general parental leave, Mm -hmm. and support for insurance to cover feeding professionals who are practicing ethically in relationship to formula, which means that Mm -hmm. we both don't fear it in a way that leaves us uneducated and leaves a vacuum for our patients. Mm -hmm. When it comes to lactation consultants, and, you know, obviously, I really appreciate that you describe yourself as a feeding person, because just the name lactation consultant means if I'm coming to you and I'm having an issue and I want to talk about formula, I'm nervous. Yeah. I'm nervous that you're going to tell me, don't even go there. Why? Why don't more lactation consultants? But it doesn't have to be like that. Right. That's what I'm saying. You know, why don't more lactation consultants speak about formula? I think a little bit of bias and some fear, right? So like, yeah, we're mammals. Yeah. Lactation's baseline. Right. There's a lot of other mammal stuff that I don't do Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I am a human mammal. Yes. Right. Um, and like weird human mammal stuff I do, like dip Oreos and cow's milk. Like that's kind of weird. (laughs) It's super weird. (laughs) But I'm a weird mammal. I'm a human being. (laughs) Right. I have figured out how to acquire the milk of other mammals to my own delight. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or necessity. So for me to say like an endocrinologist, right. So those Mm -hmm. are doctors that look at your thyroid system. Mm -hmm. And we're not like, oh, an endocrinologist must hate insulin. And we don't sit around and we're like, hmm, pancreatic insulin really is best. We're like, no, if you have type 1 diabetes, your body doesn't make insulin. Yep. Aren't humans cool that we made it synthetically in a lab? Mm-hmm. Here you go. So for me, synthetic milk, mm-hmm. a.k.a. infant formula, right, is a tool. Not all people want to use their body in that way. Not all babies can draw milk out of a chest. Mm -hmm. And while nature is very comfortable with a certain amount of disposable on children, I am not. 
Yes. So I'm going to need to use our human tools in every Mm -hmm. complicated way. Mm -hmm. What's really helpful listening to you talk about these different anecdotes and in your book, but also, you know, on your platforms and so on is a lot of times most of us are going into it and we think we're going to breastfeed or we think we're going to formula feed because of some specific reason. But we don't think of all the different combinations, you know, or all the different permutations, the way it might evolve. And I think, you know, being able to say, hey, there's a few ways you could go about this based on what I know about you and your goals, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's where a lactation consultant who is formula friendly, let's say, <laughs> I'm told, formula a full- educated. I don't need you to be friendly about anything. I just need you to understand. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. What hydrolyzation is. Yes. I think that that's where people get really lost. And I think, you know, there is this as much as we all live our lives online, you know, and here's what I'm doing now and here's what's going on. I think feeding the baby is still a really vulnerable place. Right. And you have the language and the knowledge and still it's a vulnerable place. Right. To talk through. Why is it so polarizing? I mean, I think that a lot of people feel really deeply connected to nursing and it Mm -hmm. feels important and great to them. Mm -hmm. And what I'm asking for is like 2023, where information is so available, if anything, too available. Mm -hmm. We actually need experts, right? It's actually like too much information. Totally. Yeah. And like you don't need to know what the lady in the Facebook group's baby tolerated well. Right. You need me as an actual professional. Mm-hmm. We've spent a whole life with this organ system that we did not know what to do with. Like we did not sit around with other people nursing all the time being like, okay, wait, how did you do that? You moved the chin where? Where's your hand? What are you doing for that? Right. Mm-hmm. That's We're just sort of like handed a baby. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, go. <laughs> and so the other thing with the book is that it has QR codes to video. So I wanted folks to actually, yes. like, I think it is helpful to watch five minutes of latching newborns. Before you attempt to do it. Absolutely. I mean, I remember going to that class, (laughs) the breastfeeding class in the hospital. And it was, I mean, you know, it had, there were valuable things. I remember coming out of it and being like, everything except breastfeeding is evil. (laughs) I didn't know that. And that's in a hospital where you think, in my mind, a hospital should be kind of like an unbiased setting, right? It should be this like sciencey medical experience, you know, but it's, but it doesn't actually feel that way, which I think is very interesting. At least that was my experience. So like baby friendly hospitals comes up a lot. Yeah. So baby friendly hospitals are a designation that means they followed these 10 steps to support breastfeeding. Okay. But part of what is tricky about baby friendly, so baby friendly sort of is like on the side of formula is bad and dangerous. And I'm going to say it can be. If you don't have safe water, formula is bad and dangerous. If you have a micro preemie whose gut is Mm -hmm. not developed, formula is bad and dangerous. However, we have to look at context. The World Mm -hmm. Health Organization is giving recommendations that speak at equal volume to me as well as someone living in a refugee camp setting. Mm -hmm. 
And that means those recommendations have to be sufficient for all of us. So the safest, best thing for everybody is probably to do that nature mammal thing where you Mm -hmm. don't need clean water. Right, right. However, because we have jobs and stuff, that's not always an option. Mm -hmm. And it is more complicated than that. And through all of human history, we have always supplemented. We have always fed each other's kids. So that's Mm -hmm. always been part of the system. Mm -hmm. It's just that we're getting better and better and better at how to do that. Mm -hmm. Shifting gears a little bit to, you know, what we're, what Bobby's trying to do, what you're trying to do, which is change the narrative around feeding shame and the conversation. And I think, you know, it's, Part of this podcast even is that we're having these conversations with experts. We're also having these conversations with parents um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, entertainers and activists and Olympians, you know, and all sorts of people coming from different backgrounds. Why are thought leaders coming into this conversation more and more to talk about it? Why is this happening now, right, more than it did even five years ago? I do think the pandemic has pushed the way we think about risk benefit. Mm-hmm. Like my ability, my practice, like my exercising that muscle mm-hmm. of really thinking critically about risk benefit, right? To go back to sort of like that safety question. It's like safety isn't real, first of all. there Nothing yeah. is safe versus unsafe. Things are safer and less safe. Mm-hmm. But when we're making a risk benefit decision, we actually have to weigh all of those risks and benefits in context, Right. So I do think that shifted the way that we thought about that. I think at least in like the context of U.S. parents, burnout is really high. Mm -hmm. We're really needing to use all our tools to get through this moment in parenting. We sort of entered the era of like Facebook group parent, right? So we were like in the cacophony. Mm -hmm. And that was a real bad moment around shame. Mm -hmm. So we were parenting really publicly, but like seeking community. Yes. But then experiencing disagreement, right? Like we already kind of like parenting has always been fraught with culture wars. You know, Mm -hmm. do you stay home? Do you work? Do you attachment parent or do you cry it out? Do you, you know, Mm -hmm. like all of these things. And I think we're, I think what we're trying to do is as we leave the era of the, like, Facebook group cacophony Mm -hmm. and move more into sort of, like, the curated information, I think we're trying to find the gray. I think that our generation Mm -hmm. is, I think, millennials. We've had our own experiences. We're trying to be really emotionally intelligent. We're working on our trauma. We have a deep understanding of shame. Like we we read the Brene Brown. Right. And so we're trying to find what is beyond the culture war. Mm-hmm. And like there's bigger culture wars happening by all means. That's right. But sort of like within that, mm-hmm. I think we are seeking opportunities for neutrality. I love that. And that's something that really resonated with me you know, being out of the feeding stage, but forever in the parenting stage in your book was around change and just this ability to change your mind mm-hmm. <laughs> and that that's okay, you know, and it's, that's part of it. That's part of being human. That's part of, that's a huge part of being a parent. How did you come to that? Cause it's like, it's almost 
It's a flexible stance, but it's a stance. Kicking and screaming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is how I got to that answer. I yeah. am I'm autistic. I love dogma. I love clarity. I love plans. Mm-hmm. Me too. I, I love do plans. not do well <laughs> when the plan changes. Mm-mm. Oh my gosh. I heard the best thing today. A friend of mine described the like energy of a mom that's trying to make everything go right for a special like holiday moment. And there's oh like God. a living nightmare. Yeah. And she was like, in our family, we call it the Christmas spirit. It's like mom is full of the Christmas spirit. I'm obsessed with this idea. That's really good. That is I my am life. often <laughs> full of the Christmas spirit. Yep. But coming back to changing your mind, right? So and how, changing like, your mind is like getting out of the Christmas spirit. Right. And into like enjoying the mess. Yes. The universe was going to give me a real tough lesson in that. Like that's just mm-hmm. how that was going to go. And so not only do I have an incredibly opinionated, very strong little child, um, my child is disabled. And so Mm -hmm. parenting looks absolutely nothing like I anticipated. And that is something that's really important to me in the book is showing disabled parents, telling Mm -hmm. the stories of parents of disabled kids, Mm -hmm. um, because I felt like I was completely outside of the culture. I felt like I was having an experience that doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And it very, very much does. Yeah. I was just, I was so forced all the way off the map mm-hmm. that I was going, I was going to learn to change or die. Right. I was going to have to parent the kid in front of me mm-hmm. and live the life in front of me and walk that journey in front of me. And so that's what I try to do as a professional is give people the tools to do that mm-hmm. um, instead of white knuckling a dogma. Mm-hmm. And I love what you said about parenting the child in front of you, right? And just that idea of what's in front of you and embracing that and being in that. When you're, when the spirit is running through you, <laughs> whatever, whatever the, the Christmas spirit, spirit. It might just be the morning routine spirit. Let's be honest. It's just, you know, it's any bedtime spirit, whatever you've got, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, we- weekend mm-hmm. programming spirit. And you need to chill out. What does your self-talk sound like? Mm. My new mantra, this is so millennial, is you don't have to optimize everything. Oh, yes. So like, it's okay if she goes to school with kind of the wrong stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and it is dropping down that perfectionism. It is that like, Letting her be the kid and not showing, not flexing what amazing mom I am all the time. Mm -hmm. By not optimizing everything, sometimes I leave enough space for real Mm self-care. If I leave enough space for real self-care to pay attention to my sensory system, especially as an autistic parent, Mm -hmm. I can have the bandwidth. You actually enjoy being present with my kid. Hmm. I love that. I think that's that's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much for joining us, Victoria. This has been a wonderful conversation, the first of many, I'm sure. Um, can you tell our listeners where they can find you and your excellent book? So, feed the baby. Easy enough to remember. You can get. Anywhere books are sold, your local bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, a bookshop, 
all those spots. And now, as of today, also available on audiobook, read by me, the author, available on Audible, audiobooks.com, your Libby app, request the book to your library so others can access it too. And you can find me on my socials at Victoria Vicelli IBCLC. Amazing. Thank you so much. Loved chatting with Hannah and Victoria. Hearing both of their feeding stories is so empowering. How comforting is it to hear that a lactation consultant struggled with nursing? And my guess is she isn't the only one. I'm just so glad that she's talking and writing about it. Be sure to follow Bobby on Instagram at Bobby for all Milk Drunk updates and sign up for the Milk Drunk newsletter at milk-drunk.com. Milk Drunk is powered by Bobby, hosted by me, Angelica Temple, and produced by Beth Rowe, Mary Kelly, and the team at Full Picture Productions. If you're liking what we're shaking here at Milk Drunk Pod, be sure to subscribe. You don't want to miss a thing. Also, if you have topics you want to hear discussed or a hot parenting take, our DMs are always open.